Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Tom Black, Keith Jones, we welcome you to Front Row Knowles. KJ, it is ACC kickoff week, which means fall camp kickoff is not far away, which means season kickoff is not far away. Let's go. Well, our listeners probably are aware of this, but the first practice, as was announced, is going to be August 3rd. I was hoping we'd get started in July, just so I could say we had started in July, but FSU's first practice is August 3rd. And um, if you're looking for fireworks and heat and um, uh, excitement, uh, evidently the first day of the ACC kickoff meetings are not going to do that for you. You're just going to rely on the temperature and remembrances of what happened on July 4th. Well, and the ACC kickoff expanded this year. It's three days. It's taking place in Charlotte right now as we speak. And uh, Keith and I are recording on Tuesday. FSU meets the media on Wednesday, and so you'll see some news trickle out about FSU with uh, Coach Norvell and Jordan Travis and others there, Kalen Deloach and Jared Verse. I guess I could name the others since there's only two more, right? But uh, And then the, the booting in terms of all conference teams and, and who the actual pick is, used to be they'd announce it during the kickoff, but that's actually, I think, coming out early next week or maybe over this weekend. So we'll have to hold our collective breath, KJ. And for years and years and years, you and I voted on that, but since we ain't there, we don't get to vote. I would be very surprised, I've said this previously, if Clemson isn't the preseason pick, just based on more media from that area. And Clemson, not even that, just Clemson's been the the, the top dog. And until, you you know, to be the best, you got to beat the best kind of thing. And it also would shock me, and this is because of the media, that uh, if Jordan Travis was the preseason player of the year for the conference, that's going to be Drake May, I'm almost positive. I, I unfortunately would agree with you on both counts. Yeah, and uh, we'll get into this with Bob Ferrante, uh, our Osceola insider next segment, uh, who is up there. And then uh, our, our good friend and uh, longtime guest on this show, David Hale from ESPN, who does a great job covering the ACC and all of college football. We uh, recorded a conversation with him that's in the can. And, you know, really the tenor is, back to your point, Keith, that there wasn't a lot of fireworks on Tuesday. Sort of been saying this for years. I mean, th- this is what the hand is for the ACC. I'm not sure what you can say. Uh, unless you say we just decided to blow up the conference or we called ESPN and said we want to rebid our rights and we're ripping this up, I mean, which they can't do. I don't know what you say. I, I agree. I think we're all wanting to hear something uh, and then scared to death that we might hear something, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, as we've said, interesting time in college football. And uh, nobody's willing to go out on the line. Nobody's willing to really you know, predict anything other than folks like us. But those people that are involved in it, they're just playing everything close to the vest and probably appropriately so. ACC kickoff talk coming up straight ahead. Bob Ferrante joins us right after this as we are just getting cranked up on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles, ACC kickoff style as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. I feel like we should just 
Favre Bojangles into this too, as we say hello to our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Free plug there, Bob, as long as you bring Keith and I back some Bojangles from uh, ACC territory in Charlotte. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I've got a complimentary Chick-fil-A gift card, but I had heard nothing about the free Bojangles. But I will let you know as soon as I get some information there. If I get a free box well, of Cheez-Its for, for KJ, I'll bring the Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its, Chick-fil-A, Bojangles. This explains a lot as I look uh, at what we all look like in the middle of this Zoom right now. The commissioner spoke on Tuesday morning and uh, announced that the ACC would be doubling its uh, media rights revenue because ESPN agreed just to renegotiate. Now, what what came out of the uh, commissioner's talk? Anything of uh, note or just a bunch of word soup? You know, it was a solid hour, and I think the first half hour was pretty much the uh, the PR speak for the conference, the, the bragging points over what the league has accomplished on the field in a lot of sports, not just football. Uh, the second half was... Uh, a Q&A where, where there's there's some of the harder questions and it's about the financials and the future of the conference and and really I, I think Jim Phillips admitted there's there's no there's no bridge to 30 million dollars there, there are some bridges that you can build towards smaller amounts um, you know we're still lacking a lot of specifics here you know we talked in May at Amelia Island about what was a success initiative what does it look like what are the details it's been two full months since presidents and chancellors have agreed to the concept of a success initiative toward rewarding football success, men's basketball success. Um, unfortunately, you know, somewhat frustratingly for, for me, I'd like to have heard what these initiatives look like. They're still being debated. There are still some proposals on the table, you know, Michael Alford telling us that they they can look at them as presidents and chancellors and athletic directors. Um, they're still debating the merits of them, which ones might benefit a Florida State more in their view versus others that they don't like as much. But again, still kind of two months later, we're still playing that, okay, what does the money look like game? And, and I'm not sure really if in two more months we'll have an answer or not. We're, we're kind of short on a lot of these big specifics that I think we all want to know more about. Bob, not to be a Debbie Hunter, you're not going to know because if you read in between the lines, that initiative doesn't begin until the 24-25 academic year, which means checks don't get cut until the first, possibly second quarter of 25. I mean, that's with a lesson until the checks get cut. You know, I grew up in the business world. Unless the check clears, it doesn't count. But it's going to be cut until a long time now is, is my frustration. I think so, too. I think, you know, to, to steal the Tom Petty line, the waiting is the hardest part. And, and with the finances, you can't afford to keep waiting, though. And I think that's that's just where the ACC schools are. I, it, it's a tough position to be in. Uh, Florida State and Clemson have been very outspoken between Michael Alford and, and Graham Neff, the Clemson AD. But... Um, I think what's what's important, you know, as we move forward here is is Florida State wants to be better at football, has to be better at football, needs more uh, ticket revenue, needs more booster contributions. And, and we'll see. Florida State can take care of business on the field, can take care of, of what it can control while we await the ACC to to try and um, 
you know, come up with, with some bridges towards some smaller amounts of money. Well, David Teal, who's been a frequent guest on this show, I know he asked a question, and one of the things they're waiting on is they don't know what the payout's going to be from the expanded playoff yet, and so that would factor in. Um, let me see if I can if I can recap the the word soup and the key talking points here, Bob and Keith. Uh, Jim Phillips, and this has been where all conferences are, he stressed the need for uniform NIL laws. He reiterated that student athletes are not employees, which is the NCAA's position and, and institutions' positions. Uh, he talked about the success initiatives. Then, then he went to the talking points that the ACC had nine national titles this this past year, more than any of the other Power Five conferences, and 16 over the last two years. And since the inception of the playoff, the ACC has the second most CFP appearances and the second most titles. So now that you hear all that, do you feel much better about the state of affairs in the league? <laughs> no. The short answer to that setup is no. Um, and, and the bummer is I, I thought Jim Phillips was even more pessimistic about Notre Dame and, and the, the fact that there's really no roadmap to, to Notre Dame from a desire standpoint to, to get back, or I shouldn't say to get back in this league, because I feel like the opportunity was there in 2020 for uh, for John Swafford to say, hey, Notre Dame, if you want in, this is not a one-year thing. You know, we're, we're throwing you a lifeline in the middle of COVID to, to help you formulate a football schedule. I think there was leverage at that point for Swafford to do so. And, and really, the ACC might have let Notre Dame off the hook a little too easy. Um, I, from a revenue standpoint, I think the schools are truly just stuck and, and you're, you're at a point where you've got to figure out a lot of things from how do you fund all the other sports, not named football. I think football is going to get everything that it wants. It, it's a question of does softball, soccer, tennis, swimming, get what it needs to be competitive. And, and Michael Alford has said that he wants every sport that Florida state fields to be competitive at the national level. But to do that, it, it takes an enormous amount of money and, and Florida State is not able to compete with a Florida, with an LSU, a Georgia, an Alabama, an Auburn. It's just the outright fact. So, again, I don't think we're getting closer to anything that resembles a solution. Um, it, it's just a, maybe a confirmation that, that this is the, the short and the long-term reality. The one thing I will give Commissioner Phillips credit for is he didn't make the analogy that are we talking about a striving for money or are we talking about striving for success? I just wish he would have added, in other words, do we want to be Vanderbilt? Because <laughs> yeah. there is a distinction between those two things. I'm just not so sure it applies to everyone else other than Vanderbilt. I, I think what's admirable about Florida State is I don't remember when this even started, but I've heard it from a few people. You know, when when did the Florida State mindset become we want to be good at every single sport? Whereas, you know, the SEC mindset forever until this money started pouring in was football, everything football, everything football. Now they've got the money to pour it into baseball and softball and all these other sports. Um, I think it's it's admirable even through the presidential changes the AD changes through the financial nightmare of COVID, uh, some rocky budgeting that, that was part of that too. Um, 
the the admirable goal still is Florida State has some great coaches, some great assistant coaches, has great cultures. They are trying to develop uh, you know, student athletes for the future on and off the field and really still being very, very competitive at a high level to try and win titles. You know, we, we talked about this a couple of shows ago too, that, you know, five programs were in the top five in the 2022-23 athletic season. Um, yeah, there wasn't a national title in there. Softball was darn close. Um, men's golf was really a shot or two away from an even better finish. Um, you know, soccer was in the final four of the College Cup. These programs are still competing at a really incredible level. And you might look at the facility that they have and say, well, it's maybe not the best. But you look at the coaching staff and the players, you see the effort, the commitment. So I think you just have to hope that that effort and commitment, that hard work continues to persevere into the next athletic season. The question you asked there about the when you first heard Florida State trying to be good in everything, I, I remember it as a talking point for Dave Hart and Sandy Dallenbert when they would discuss Dave in particular, comprehensive excellence was was the phrase that uh, he would use when he was AD. Hey, I want to move this forward a little bit. Here's the, if this is not something that comes out of higher ed, I don't know what is. Did you hear when Commissioner Phillips referenced student athlete contact exposures? in regard to how the new rules with the clock not start stopping after first downs is going to limit student athlete. I can't even remember it without looking again. What contact, what do I call that? Student athlete contact exposures. KJ in Wildwood terms, that means guys are going to get hit less is what they're trying to say there. Fewer collisions. I thought it meant there'd be less, less time for the announcers to talk about what their NIL deal was before ball was snapped yes it seems I just to be thought a, that was such a higher ed term but uh, anyway to, to move this forward though bob uh they the acc introduced a new supervisor of officials and uh, it also seemed like and maybe this has always gone on but the commissioner did mention they've got several current nfl officials i guess that are involved in reviewing game tape of how the officials performed each week uh, is that just something they're publicizing better, or is this an actual step up in CC to try and improve its officiating? We'll see if it's just PR. Um, I, I thought it was very interesting. I mean, Al Riveron, who's, who's got a lot of NFL experience, um, hey, he, he rolled out the opportunity that, that we can at any time come to Charlotte and, and witness what they do in, in the brand new um, officiating review center that they've got here, obviously the ACC is moving from Greensboro to Charlotte. So um, open invitation to the media to just show up and, and see what they do and how they analyze officials. I thought it was interesting, you know, various things that he said was, you know, it was 180 plus plays and they review the officials based on whether they threw a flag, even when they didn't throw a flag, what did they see? What did they miss? Um, he, he doesn't want games to be bogged down by, uh, by the review process, which I think we all praise. I mean, we don't want to see games extended from a length of time. But I, I thought also he said he wants to communicate better what they see, what they do, maybe why they called a play, how they did, without throwing an official um, under the bus, so to speak, without you know saying this official clearly uh, screwed up. They, they want to be more explanatory to the public about what they're doing. How will that shake out? Of course, on Saturday night, when you see a play, an official missed something that you thought was blatant or obvious. There's a, a 
what, two or three different replay angles. Uh, the TV cameras saw it, but, but the, the zebras missed it. Of course, you're going to be frustrated, but it, it would be, I think, really, really good. A question was asked, you know, can that line of communication be open? Whereas I think the league office has historically said, don't really want to criticize or don't want to respond to a media inquiry about a specific play or a trend in officiating. I, I do hope that they're a little bit more open as far as just communicating to the public, okay, this is why we do what we do. This is why we replay uh, these plays. And this is how we came up with, with a final, uh, final solution. Any other fireworks, or was it was it truly as benign as it appeared on Tuesday? Yeah, I think you know we're by Thursday night. I'm going to have to think to myself: Is this format really good in three days? Because because day one was was a little a little bland, right? I mean, it wasn't the ideal start to an expanded uh, you know three day centerpiece for the conference to put all this extra time into programming on the ACC network and, and such. I, I've often said, I, I think the problem with the commissioner uh, state of the ACC address is it's not a press conference. It's never a means for him to announce something newsworthy. They don't plan that way as a league. They, they want to make it a PR vehicle for the league. So we come out of it, I think, saying, well, the commissioner didn't say that much. It was more of a, a politician's speech so i think the rest of the week will be more beneficial we're looking forward to hearing from you know for example mike elko and pat narduzzi a couple of guys who don't face florida state on the regular um you know obviously mike norvell and the players but also Dabo sweeney and, and, and where clemson's standing is in the conference i think there is a lot to look forward to you know as these days progress but maybe day one was was just a sort of a dipping the toes into the cold end of, of the deep end of the pool and, and not getting enough of what you wanted from a uh, from a, a conversational standpoint. Well, who are the schools that spoke on Tuesday, Bob? Because it, it wasn't Florida State. They speak Wednesday. And Clemson speaks Thursday, right? Yeah, we had Miami, Syracuse, Georgia Tech, and Louisville. So you've got a couple of newer first-year type uh, tough coaches. The ACC, and it's not always this way, but this year there's talk of two teams, and the two teams are FSU and Clemson. So when you get today, it it really is the question that the ACC has been asking for years: like, who are teams number three and four that are going to? And maybe Miami is supposed to be that number three or four, but they're just not going to generate the buzz the way Elaine Kiffin does on day three of the SEC meetings, even if it's not Alabama and Georgia day, right? I, I agree. I, I think, I think it's that, I think it's Florida state and, and Clemson, whichever order a lot of people nationally might put them in, but then the gap between those two schools and say a, a North Carolina or a Pittsburgh or whoever is pretty significant. There's a drop off in a tier structure of where this conference is. That's one thing. The other thing is that this event's been in Charlotte. I don't know how many years in a row, but you have a lot of North Carolina media. You have a lot of Virginia media. That's just, it's easier to get here. A lot of the Florida State and Miami folks don't, don't make the trip as easily. Um, so we'll see. It, it's it's uh, something we're still kind of looking forward to, just hear from Florida State, get some updates in the coming days. 
Bob, we'll let you be on your way. Uh, enjoy the festivities at the expanded ACC kickoff. Thank you. Take care. He is our Osceola insider. We'll take a break and come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles, Tom Block, Keith Jones, and we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we're really pleased to be joined by ESPN college football reporter, writer, guru, David Hale. David, how are you, sir? I'm well, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. It's, it's, uh, it means it's either one of two things if you're having me on. It's either the doldrums of the offseason in which you're bored out of your mind and don't have anyone else to talk to, or we're getting close to the season, and now my, I have something potentially relevant to offer. It's actually C, both of the above, David, but we appreciate you joining. <laughs> I'm all for low standards. Here, here's the first question, and and uh, in full transparency, folks, we recorded this before ACC kickoff started, and uh, as you're listening, David is at ACC kickoff, and so this will have already happened, but, but if you're Jim Phillips, when you give the state of the ACC address, Florida State fans in particular want him to talk about how the hand he's got is a royal flush Yet the reality is he's got a pair of twos, and I'm not sure. So what can he possibly say that's going to make us feel great about the long-term future of the ACC, David? Uh, first off, your preface to this was confounding, and I uh, we're, we're talking about a thing that will have already happened, but it has not happened yet. Uh, and this is very much like the scene in Spaceballs where they're watching the movie that they're currently in. When will then be now? Dude. Uh, anyway, anytime we can talk space balls is actually, in fact, if you want to just turn this entirely into a space balls podcast, I'm okay with that too. Uh, yeah, that's good. and, and space balls probably has much more to offer than Jim Phillips at this point in terms of some optimism about the ACC's financial future. Look, I, you know, as you said, I, everybody wants an answer, right? But there is not an answer. Like that's the bottom line. There is not an answer. I think the way that Jim Phillips has tried to put something approaching a happy face on this is to suggest there is not one answer, but maybe if we piece together a dozen or so sort of answers, we get to a point in which everybody's relatively happy. Um, is that out of the realm of possibilities? Probably not. There may be some scenario where um, a few little bits and pieces here and there added together add up to something impactful, but I think that is, to continue your cards analogy, really playing to an inside straight. I don't believe that's the likely long-term answer unless for reasons that would defy basic business sense, ESPN uh, simply says, we're going to pay you a lot more money because we like you. And uh, I just, I, I don't think that is a likely outcome in almost any sense. So the question is, I think, really more when than what. I think at the end of the day, barring some sort of cataclysmic shift in the economics, the value of the league, or the way that college football operates in general, um, there will come a point in time in which programs like Florida State have to evaluate their options and say, we're taking the least bad one. And that will involve us going through some litigation, 
uh, potentially losing some media rights, potentially writing a very, very, very big check, uh, but getting to somewhere where they feel more stable long term. All right, I'm going to boil this down, David, into Wildwood terms where I grew up. Don't worry about the win next year, three years, five years from now. Is the ACC going to expand or is the ACC going to disband? I don't think the ACC will cease to exist as an entity anytime in the near future, most likely. But it's fascinating to sort of watch. There's three Power Five leagues that are really struggling to remain power. You know, you have the Big Ten and the SECs that are clearly the financial frontrunners right now. And the other three, I don't even want to say playing catch-up because they're not. They're falling further behind. But what you see is sort of three very different landscapes. In the Pac-12, things are bad. I mean, things are very bad there. And I think disillusion of the Pac-12 is an entirely reasonable, likely possibility even because of where they're at and trying to get a television deal, which seems like it's never going to come. I'm a I'm going to see Guns N' Roses at the end of August. Do you remember when Axl Rose was putting together Chinese democracy for like 12 years? Like that is the Pac-12's media rights deal. It's it's their pet project, Brian Wilson alone in his bedroom for years at a time working on an album. Like this, I don't think it's ever going to come. Things are very bad there. You look at the Big 12 and like they're behind financially, clearly, but it almost seems like this happy little group that, that sees... Uh, a, a potential bright future in spite of all of this. You know, Brett Normark consistently is talking about expanding further. Um, they are being, they have essentially decided, apologies that there's a train going by behind me. Uh, they have essentially decided they're going to be the power player uh, against the Pac-12 and potentially take some of the Pac-12's teams. I mean, this was a league that got robbed of its two biggest brands that are leaving next year, and they seem kind of happy. They seem like they see an avenue for growth. The ACC is is patiently enduring the status quo. And I think to some extent, that is the absolute biggest frustration if you're Michael Alford, if you're Graham Neff, if you're Dan Radakovich. Like a lot of these schools that see the writing on the wall and say the status quo is not okay. Is the answer expansion? Well, tell me who actually moves the needle expansion-wise. I don't know. I don't think anybody has an answer, but I think there's a thought of like, and if we just do something, at least it's something, right? At least we're moving in a direction. And right now, the incentives short-term suggest there's no reason for the ACC to blow things up or do something crazy or add a bunch of teams. But the long-term is there is a train coming and you are tied to the tracks. You can either start trying to untie those ropes any way you can or you can enjoy the sun and the scenery for the next few years until the train arrives. It seems fitting that during your answer, David, an actual train was coming. And so you confirmed <laughs> during those comments that, that the, was a very end of the tunnel right there. is a train. All right, enough about that. Let, let's talk a little bit. It's not on field yet, but, uh, and I have to catch KJ up to speed because he, we don't call him the Twitterless Keith Jones because he's on Twitter. He is Twitterless. And so you have not seen David Hale's rankings uh, among ACC schools that he's been he's tweeting and posting over the last uh, month or so. But David, as an FSU guy, when I look and I, I let's rank the DBs and there's FSU in the top tier with the number one DB class. Let's rank the DL and there's FSU in the top tier with the number one DL. And then let's rank the OL and shockingly there's FSU in the top tier. Let's rank the quarterbacks and FSU. The only thing I've seen negative so far is you got FSU a big more you appear to like FSU, Dave. 
Uh, first of all, is Keith going to join Threads? Is that is that what is that an alternative? Can he be <laughs> Threads guy? It's under consideration. Under consideration. All right. uh, I it is it is funny to me because I've been doing these off season summertime position rankings for I don't know four or five years now, and it, unfortunately that that uh, timeline has coincided with uh, an era in which there was not always a lot to like at Florida State, and as I've gone through and done it this year. It is astonishing to me to see the the tremendous growth in talent, right? Like, so you can look at 2021 and the way the year ended, and, and certainly it ended, I think, to some degree on with, with some optimism because of Jordan Travis. And you thought, well, they pulled out some games that maybe they couldn't. And then you look at last year, and they get to 10 wins, and, you know, it, it almost felt like they sort of did a lot of this in spite of themselves, and they did it because they had a couple of, genuine impact players and Trey Benson and Jordan Travis and Johnny Wilson and Barrett Burst and Danny Robinson. And, um, but you start looking at this roster this year and it is as good as uh, evenly distributed talent-wise and as deep as any in the ACC, including Clemson and maybe more so. Like that is an astounding thing to say. And again, when you compare it to where we were a few years ago, I mean, the O-line wasn't just bad, it was abysmal. The wide receiver group a couple of years ago, I had them as the worst of the ACC, and they pretty much played like it. Um, this was not a good linebacking crew. This was a, a secondary that was very hit or miss just a couple of years ago. And now, you know, you're talking about guys like Fentrell Cypress, who maybe isn't even a definitive starter at cornerback right now. That's how good they are in, in some areas. Now, look, it's the era of the portal that has helped Florida State in some areas. I look at, like, safety, for example. Um, they're thinner because of it. Uh, but I think on the whole, like this is this is a really good team. And assuming that Jordan Travis doesn't get hurt, uh, knock on wood, I don't see an obvious glaring weakness. There's probably some areas that are stronger than others, but I just do not see an area on this team where you say, like, well, this is a real problem here that didn't get addressed. There's just not one. David, the first year without divisions, what do you make of that? And what do you what impact do you think that will have on 23? Yeah, you know, I always say, like, when they went to divisions initially to set up an ACC championship game, and the way they distributed the divisions was largely with this idea that Florida State and Miami would play each other in the championship game every year, and that would be the big box office drop in the ACC. And, of course, that never ended up actually happening. Uh, slashing the divisions, I think, to some degree, and particularly when you look at the way that the schedule shapes up this year, uh, is about setting up Clemson and FSU for an ACC championship game that will be a big box office draw. And I have been around this league long enough to know that the best laid plans are often not ones that, uh, that actually come to fruition. Uh, that is the ACC's lot in life. But, I mean, if you're FSU, uh, look, I would, I would certainly recommend playing this year as if uh, divisions still existed. You can't just give away the, the September game against Clemson and assume that's cool. We'll get a second shot at them in the title game. But the fact of the matter is you can lose that game and get another shot at them. And that is something that uh, not just for Florida State, but for everybody in the Atlantic has lived under this sort of cloud of a one game season over the last, what, almost decade now. That if you win that game, you're good. And if you lose that game, which has happened to most of the, the rest of the division, um, that was the end of your hopes of an ACC championship. So, um, look, I think it's for the best. You're going to have your two best teams play each other. It's good for the league. Um, will there probably be years in which that screws the league? I have absolutely no doubt. Again, the ACC has a way of screwing itself 
uh, or fate screwing with it anyway. Uh, but I do think when you look at the the way the league shapes up, I, I certainly don't think there's any foregone conclusion that it's Clemson and FSU. But I would have a hard time making a case for any team other than those two as being the two best teams as we get ready to start September. Um, you know, once the games begin being played, sometimes those perspectives shift a lot. But but right now on paper, um, I mean, it's just they seem like they are head and shoulders above everybody else. David, it's the way it works with Tobacco Road Media and we will be there at the ACC kickoff. Drake May is going to get all kinds of attention. Where is Jordan Travis, in your mind, both in the ACC and – it's kind of a two-part question. You know, how does he stack up nationally? But also, can you think of another player you've covered that's grown as much as he has from where he was three years ago to where he is now? Yeah, I was talking about this with some folks just yesterday, actually. and I've gone back and forth, and I – I don't think there's a long answer to who the number one quarterback of the ACC is. I mean, as I've done these position rankings, one of the things that has jumped out to me is just how bad North Carolina was in numerous areas, O-line, running back, defensive line, secondary. I mean, you name it, and they were fairly bad. And they still played for an ACC title last year because Drake May was just that good. He is really, really good and very much deserving of being considered as a potential first overall draft pick uh, next spring. That said, I think when you look at Jordan Travis, he has some real advantages. I mean, one, he is such a dynamic athlete. And what I think he and Drake may have in common beyond just their skill set is that they are both really good at making the players around them better. Uh, and, And without question, when you look at this trajectory of FSU from the absolute doldrums of you know, the end of Jimbo Fisher and the Willard Taggart era and what, where things were when Mike Lovell took over. I mean, the story of FSU's rebirth is the story of Jordan Travis's emergence. Like, those two things have correlated so closely, and I think that's for a reason. He is someone who has essentially put this program on his back and made it better. That is, uh, uh, I think, a massive statement. So, you know, we get to the end of the year, we talk about who has the better shot at the Heisman. I mean, I, I would argue that Jordan has probably the better shot because he's probably on the better team that will win some more games. I think he's obviously going to put up some rushing yards, which tends to help. Uh, but the story, the narrative of the Jordan Travis uh, career is so compelling. And, and as we talk about those big end-of-season awards and, and the Heisman in particular, often the narrative is as important as the numbers. And so I think he certainly will have that. And yeah, I, I would be hard-pressed to find anyone who has come as far as he has. And this is, I have a story coming out as we, we talk about the, the weird timeline of recording this now and having it run next week. I, the story may be out next week by the time this is live, but I have a story uh, that's remotely focused on Kenny Dillingham and the, his work with both Jordan Travis and Bo Nix and sort of just resurrecting the, both of their careers. It is so fascinating to me that you, know, you talk to Kenny and he will tell you Jordan Travis didn't just like learn a new skill set he was always this talented and he didn't just like tweak his mechanics and finally became a good passion he always had this in him it was so much about confidence and opportunity and those two things have come together the way that they have i don't know how often we'll see this in college football anymore because you know if you don't produce the portal means you want to go out there and find somebody else and if you're not getting enough playing time you say well i'll hit the portal and go find somewhere else that i can get playing time like to see a story like Jordan Travis's, not only do I not have a good comparison point, I really wonder if we'll ever see something like this again. 
David, in your quiet conversations around the league, what, what do people say about, uh, about Florida State's coaching staff and Coach Norvell in particular, where they're at right now? Yeah, it's funny to me because I have posed the question of Clemson or FSU to a number of coaches. And while I don't think anyone is eager to write off Clemson, you'd be foolish to do so. Uh, I would say the majority of the coaches that I've talked to have said that if I had to pick one today, I would probably leave Florida State. Um, and, and I was a little surprised by how much I heard that. Um, the the fact that Mike Norvell has uh, had the success that he has had, I mean, it's it's interesting because it, it is in some ways um, – you kind of hear some people kind of like wringing their hands. I don't know if it's a little bit of shot and it or what. I'm saying like, boy, they gave me this extension after one good year, and yada, yada, yada. Uh, they didn't even beat Clemson or Wake Forest last year. And like, yeah, I mean, if you want to find some holes in the resume, they do exist. And certainly that puts a lot of the spotlight on what this season is all about for them. Uh, and I think part of the, I don't know, maybe lack of buy-in. I know that's probably the wrong term, but the lack of just like uh, unadulterated accolades is because of the way he's done it. I mean, this is new still. The way that he has built this roster is not something that we have really seen, um, and certainly not at this level. I mean, even somebody like like Lincoln Riley, who did a lot of transfer portal work at USC last year to get the team much better, it was sort of a different thing. I mean, he just kind of went out and took the best guys and yada, yada, yada. We'll see what I'm doing in Colorado. And I don't, I, I wonder how much that's going to work. The way that Norvell has done it, I think is very, you know, it's, it's almost underrated because it's not just like dive into the portal and take the best guys. It is, uh, I think he has been very um, considered and measured in his approach to using it, even though he has used it fairly prolifically and obviously very successfully. I just, I wonder, particularly in a league that is not the SEC, you know, gung ho, let's go to the portal, win at all costs type of league. I think you have some coaches who maybe are not uh, the biggest fans of this uh, way of doing things. So maybe that has something to do with it. But the, again, at the end of the day, when you ask those coaches, what do you think of the team? They all say, it's a pretty damn good team. He is David Hale from ESPN. David, I don't know if you see if this is at your inbox yet, but uh, email from Greensboro confirms the real reason they extended ACC kickoff to another day. It's adding forty dollars to each school's media rights revenue distribution at the end of the year because of the programming we're getting on Thursday. <laughs> uh, that I hope that that will be spent wisely, added into the NIL collective. Uh, should double what uh, Duke has right now. Um, I don't know, I'm sure I'm pissing somebody off by saying this. David Hale from ESPN. We'll take a break. More front row knolls after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knolls podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block, Keith Jones. Caden, hey, just a, a brief moment or two to wrap things up. Anything jump out from Bob or the conversation with David Hale? Well, just just as we maybe talked about in the open, um, whatever news there is is, is, is not big because nobody has anything to say. And so I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be an explosion of something, maybe along the lines of getting caught off guard when 
USC and UCLA said they were leaving the Pac-12. But unless until then, we're just going to talk about minor stuff at the one and two and three level. Not, not any big thing that any of us have a great idea about. Well, but the best part is, Keith, we get to talk about on-field football now because we are nearing the end of silly season. I mean, we're a week away from the end of silly season because Florida State will be out on the practice fields. And last time I checked, you and I both grew up as broadcasters, not as journalists. So that's good for us. We talk about what we see. <laughs> that, that, true statements. True words have not been spoken uh, on this show. Keith, we are out of time. We will do this again next week as FSU kicks off practice. Good to catch up, folks. Thanks for tuning in. This is Front Row Knowles.